I know how to do this and I have my skills and I can do this with my dog and I know what I'm going to do the next time that we go camping, go to the dog park and, and they start to get it themselves. And that's when it really, you know, the light bulb goes on and, and I can see it and they see the changes in their dog and it just is, it's this beautiful thing to see. Her experience with dogs, how long she's been working with them and how it is a difference from the mainstream media, you could say, when it comes to training and expertise, because she does it very differently. But the more you listen to her, you, you the more you understand, the more you realize that it's really spot on. All this information you have is, is very, I find you communicate it very well. And when you are piecing the different parts together, it really helps me understand more on habits. And I love that aspect because it's an ongoing learning session. It's funny how the emotions and the reason why people do a behavior, I would say, People are probably more complicated. Dogs never do anything for no reason. And I love your your five habits and how you talk about those because you can relate those right over to what I do. So I use cognitive behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy really does focus on the reason behind why a behavior is happening or a feeling or why they're doing it. And it, it changes perception to change behavior instead of just focusing on the behavior. And I think that's a lot when you get into habits. People have a habit for a reason. They might not even know why they have that habit for a reason. They might not even know if they want to change it. You're spot on. And I want to open this up with, for you, the parts of having an animal, how it's acting with different situations. Would you say there's 75 reasons a dog will act a certain way and you have to connect the dot to the one reason why he's acting that way. And okay. there's no one right. There's no, <laughs> there's no one right way to work with a dog and there's no one reason. So that is why the way my formula works is obviously with people, you can just ask them questions, but with people they lie or a lot of times people don't know. But when you have a formula and you're working with dogs, you can find out those answers through the method that I have created. So the reason a dog is doing a behavior will determine what method you you use to address it. If you don't like that behavior for some reason, say something that's socially unacceptable, just like what a person would do that you would deal with. They might have a socially unacceptable habit. So you can't just tell them it's wrong. If it works for them and they like it and they're doing it, they're going to keep doing it. If, if a dog is is doing a behavior because they don't know right from wrong. They just simply don't know. They haven't been taught. They're a puppy. Then you would use conditioning methods. But if they know that behavior is wrong or if that behavior has always worked for them, like, like a street dog has learned growling keeps other dogs away from their food, then you can't just tell them something is wrong. So it's very similar to people in that sense. So their behaviors are could be stemmed from something that they learned and so they just do it automatically. They just automatically will do it, that, which is a routine or a habit. So I tend to use the word routine more in my profession. So a dog has a, they might be routine driven based on learned behavior. So it, it's not dissimilar, but when we do have to figure out why the dog is doing a behavior, but that might occur as we're, as we're working with the dog, we might not know whether that dog is feeling fear or whether he just doesn't like 
a guy with a beard. That doesn't mean we can't work with them. We learn that as we go through it. So conditioning methods are more teaching right from wrong. So that's why they're so great with puppies. So you're rewarding good behavior and discouraging unwanted behavior. You're assuming you're starting with a clean slate and, and they're doing those behaviors and it could be triggered by all sorts of different things. Hey everyone, I hope you are enjoying this episode. I actually had to edit out certain parts of it so that all of it would make more sense because Billy and I get pretty in-depth when we're talking about habits and how they work. So if you are enjoying this episode, I would encourage you to take my course on habits to fully understand how habits work and how they function. It will help you out in the long run and also to understand this episode better. To start off with, you can go over to iantolson.com to get the free ebook on habits. And the course is going to be coming out in the future. So it is not currently available, but if you go over to iantolson.com, you can and get the free ebook and you'll be given notice when the, the first section of the course comes out. And I'm sorry to say this, but this episode had to be cut short due to time restrictions. So when you hear the music at the end of the episode, just know there's going to be a part two coming out next month. So be sure to come back for that. And overall, stay well. Keep being wonderful. Thank you for listening and have a great rest of your day. Cheers. <laughs> I, I love this. It, that is so interesting that you say over such a long period of time, you were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, it just started out with one, oh, let's, you know, we're in a hurry. Let's go to McDonald's. And then it just, oh, we've been there before. Let's go again. And then it becomes a habit. This is why counter conditioning, which is another form of a conditioning method can be effective because over time, repetition and desensitization and association, these type of things. So there's lots of different methods that can work. I use cognitive behavioral therapy, which would skip all the way to your last example. Your one with the mindset, where was that mindset when that behavior? So if you I love that you talked about food on that one, because I'll use that as an example a lot. There's a difference between somebody eating a bag of potato chips in the evening because they simply just have no idea that it's crappy and they have no idea why they should be eating an apple instead. And as soon as they're provided with that education, well, an apple will do this for you, make you feel better. And then it only has so many calories and a potato, bag of potato chips has this many calories. They'll just change. So that's not really a, that's just education, which is different than cognitive behavioral therapy for you're going to know it's wrong to eat that bag of potato chips. You know, you should be eating an apple, but, and someone can tell you that but you don't always make that decision. It's more of a mindset and an emotion that you're eating that bag of potato chips. And even though you know it, it's a habit and you just do it. And that's where I step in with the dogs because they might know that we've told them through regular conditioning methods that they don't, we don't want them to do that. Or they might know it's wrong, but they either don't care or they just have so much fear or an emotion. So when I say don't care, it would be like a silly adolescent dog that's grabbing your sock and running around the house and they know it's wrong, but they don't care because it's fun. (laughs) So that is when you would 
address the reason why they're doing that behavior and change that perception. And then they decide on their own. They make those decisions. There's not one right method for a dog, but conditioning methods don't change that perception. They don't provide the skills that allow the dog to work it through and work it through for themselves that they don't need that behavior in order for the same outcome. You have to work with them. You have to start with all the roots and everything else and establish those platform skills and establish. And it doesn't take that long. It really doesn't because my method, I've been doing it for three decades. And once you establish those skills, then they're transferable to everywhere, whether it's a place, whether it's a different person. It's not like you're starting from scratch and something new each time. Like you said, if you're used to doing a bad habit in these different places, if you fix it in one, you need to be able to take that brain space. You need to be able to take transferable skills, a different one and a different, it can't only be that McDonald's that you don't go to. So that's what I've learned how to do with dogs is have them not go into that panic mode where they feel they need to pee or bite. Like you literally stop the brain from going into that place. So with a dog, they have to literally not have their brain go into that fear mode or into that mode where they feel they need to do that behavior. And then once their brain never goes there and they see, oh, I don't actually have to lose my ever loving mind at the end of a leash in order for that dog to not come over to me. They learn that on their own and they choose on their own to see that. I you see. can say good dog or give them the treat, but that's not the reason why they're changing their no. behavior. It's just like me. I'm not changing my behavior because someone put a shoe rack or because someone said, you know, it's a good thing to do. Or someone said, I'll give you a hundred bucks. I'm changing my behavior because I literally trained my brain to be cognizant of where I'm putting my belongings. And then over time, seeing that, oh, this is a lot better. <laughs> I've just saved two hours in my day not running around trying to watch it. <laughs> but getting back to your, you know, place and people, they do, they have perceptions just like we do. You know, they might be fine with people in a dog park because their perception is that there's people walking around there. They have mm-hmm. dogs, there's dogs. They can wrap their head around people in a dog park You go to a different area where they're not expecting to see people or they're not expecting, you know, even their own home. They could know someone from the dog park and then that person comes in their home and their perception is, no, you're not supposed to be in my home, right? And that would be similar to some of the examples you've given where going to a bar and everybody's running around screaming and drunk and dancing and having a good time, but they have no problem with it. Then they go into a library and everybody's doing that. (laughs) (laughs) because they're not expecting that to happen and then they find out that the library is being used as a movie shoot for a movie scene and then all of a sudden their brain changes again right so they're provided with information habits are also I think a lot based on perception so when you think something should happen at a certain time or where it should happen and then you're right you you change your behavior but you also create create habits as to what should happen and dogs do that too so they'll have a certain time of day that they think they should be walked or they'll watch what their person's putting on shoes wise if they're putting on heels versus running shoes versus rollerblades versus dog walking shoes so they're paying attention to all those things as they're doing them if they see the dog walking shoes being put on that's that's like oh i'm going for a dog walk that's right which is also 
habit. So people have a habit of walking their dog at the same time. So then Mm. the dog has that habit. And then for some reason they have a change in schedule that they, that they just can't help Mm -hmm. or even the weather, for example, and they just can't go. How easily can you override that habit or that routine without it being a disaster? For some people, they can't even do that. It's very stressful for some dogs. It is. So you need to be able to change your mindset to say, it's okay that I didn't go to the gym today. Mm. You know, so as much as it's about good habits it's or bad habits, and you don't want to, you want to change bad habits. Now, if you have a habit of, you know, always going to the gym and then you can't that day, sometimes that can be really stressful for people, or you know more about that than I do, obviously. It, it is a brain space too, because if you can't go for a run, I mean, I'm in Canada where it can be extremely cold <laughs> for an extended period of time, yes. but I might do a different exercise <laughs> inside, right? So it's, I've gone far more than 48 hours with being able to go for a run. I'm doing different things inside. And so it allows my brain to be okay in relation to having a dog not get into that emotional state of being panicked and so they pee on the floor and you're preventing them from getting into that state so that they don't do that action. Is that accurate or no? Yes, and that's a really good observation or question because when I'm working with my clients with their dog, there could be a couple different triggers or cues that the same, they might not see it as the same behavior, but the dog's brain is in the same place. The reason for that behavior, you know, in one case they might hide in another case might lunge and bark, but we might not know which one will get quote unquote fixed first. So it might be the, the time or the place or the person, one of those it's going to click in with first. And then we have that transferable skill and we practice that brain. But first of all, we practice it in times where the dog isn't nervous or scared. And then we apply it to the, the, that skill set. So we're not transferring the reward. We're transferring the skill set. We might actually find success with the dogs first and the people second. And that might just be based on a number of different factors. But yes, once you get one, then you take that transferable skill to the, these other factors. So you're going to get success at certain places and times first, mm. and then you go carry on from there. I think changing a habit, there has to be a reason and it has to make sense to that person. And that's why I just love CBT for dogs, because it mm. really makes sense to the dog. A lot of times my clients don't even know why what we did worked. They still don't (laughs) quite get it, but it does work because it makes sense to the dog. And I think that just hits home so much with what you're talking about, where it has to be something that's important to the person. They have to see the value in changing that habit. And then whether they get the ability to change it just based purely on education, CBT, which just provides a change in mindset it has to make sense to the person. It has to be their, the right one for them. There has to be that, that reason to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can you give me a fairly common example of things you would run into with a dog? The cool thing about cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. is it actually, but literally we start with platform skills uh-huh. and then the changes that occur decipher the direction that we go. So it's not like conditioning. So when you go to puppy school, they can, 
you know, right from wrong, good from bad. The dog does a good behavior reward. The dog does the unwanted behavior and whatever you would do after that is dependent on so many different factors and people. And, you know, some people do nothing when the dog does the bad behavior. <laughs> so you can, and when you go to a puppy school, you can, you know, know this, what we're going to do the first week, second week, third week, like it's laid out for you with cognitive behavioral therapy. As you're applying these skill sets where you're just catching the brain at easier, smaller times, there's changes that occur that then decipher the next day step and the next step. So I know with my program, when my client gets back to me and says, okay, we spent four days doing these exercises and these are the changes that we've seen, that's going to determine for me the next step. There's a difference between a cue or a trigger or a routine. So maybe it's because their routine changed and they're scared because that routine changed. They could be scared of an actual person or they could be scared because they're going into a new environment. So you're always going to proactively prevent that fear with your skill set, but how it's taught and how it is applied depends on, on the dog. And again, it's not difficult, it's just individual. So if I were to give an example, it'd be a little bit like asking a nutritionist what they would recommend. So they're gonna say as a general, go from 10 Coca-Colas a day down to two, instead of eating chocolate at night, have an orange and say the people could do that. They could actually wrap their head around that and they could actually do it. And then they got back to the nutritionist and said, well, I'm sleeping better. And I've noticed that my nails are growing more or something like that. Or, you know, I, I haven't really lost any weight, which was my goal, but I'm finding my skin is better and I'm sleeping better. So for example, so based on those changes, the nutritionist is going to know what direction to go and what was working and what wasn't and basic advice that she gave. And then she's going to know based on that feedback, what direction to go. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, it sounds like it's every situation is very specific and because of the dog itself and potentially because of the owner and because of potentially because of the house, it's really hard just to pinpoint the one thing because it could be seven different things. Right. So if, if a dog was peeing in a house, I would, I, I would have probably 10 to 12 questions that I'd ask. And those would be uh, okay. sort of, where is the dog peeing? When is the dog peeing? And in your example of what happened just before the dog peed and what did you do when the dog peed and what did the dog do when you did whatever it is that you did. Uh-huh. Uh, so what we're narrowing down there is, is the dog simply just not house trained? Uh, Maybe. If okay. so, then you can use your conditioning <laughs> methods because conditioning methods work amazing for house training. So if the dog just simply doesn't know it's wrong to go in the house, but by the time people contact me, they've probably tried conditioning methods standard, you know, take the dog, catch the dog before they pee, take them outside. They pee outside, good dog, they get a treat or they get to play or they get to go for a walk, whatever, you know, pats or whatever you want to reward them. So conditioning methods for standard house training works really well. But based on the questions I ask, you know, if the, if the dog's taking off and, and peeing behind a couch, they might know it's wrong to pee in the house, but they don't know how to get outside. If the dog is peeing by the back door, but not letting the person know, so the person's on their computer, they could have got up and let the dog out, but the dog goes to the back door wanting out 
but doesn't correlate getting the person, then we're actually going to work more on bonding and communication skills versus house training versus fear. So if the dog is fearful to go outside, then we're dealing with fear. So these questions based on where the dog is peeing and what the dog is doing is then going to direct that those platform skills because the platform skills are going to be correlative to what we're what we're trying to address in the dog's brain. Nice. It makes sense. You're identifying what the dog is having a problem with, why it's having a problem with that thing. And then you're addressing that behavior. And it makes sense because you ha- you've had enough experience and understanding and knowledge to say, okay, these things are happening because of these reasons. Now let's fix that particular problem. So that way you can address that particular thing. That's right. And then when you get habits with people, just like with dogs, their behaviors, sometimes you can ask them questions and they, they don't know. Mm. So sometimes some of the questions I ask my clients are not necessarily correlative, but just like people, they can kind of, without being robots, but they sort of fit into categories. So I might ask questions completely not to do with what they're asking me to fix, but it would let me know whether that dog is prone to to having some other forms of anxiety or whether that dog is silly and happy and, and just being, being, you know, the guy at the party with the lampshade on his head, or whether that dog, you know, is maybe only nervous in certain situations, but not in other situations, just like people. We're not nervous in every single situation we're in, um, but we might get and get into a habit of being nervous when the, the place is new or when there's new people, but we're not nervous at every dinner party. If we go to a dinner party and we know everybody there, we're not. But if we go to a dinner party and more than half the people are new, we might be. So it's not the dinner party. It's not the act of going to a dinner party. It's the fact that there's new people there. So you can ask questions that aren't necessarily correlative to what they're asking me to fix, but it gives me an idea of the dog's behavior in, in general. And then that, that might help us. And some people have only had their dog a day or two, so they're not going to know everything. And other people have had their dog from puppy. So as far as habits with people, you might talk to them about that and say, well, are you in the habit of doing that behavior in other places as well? Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, if you feel it's out of stress, why are you not stressed in this situation or that one? Or why do you need a cigarette here? What, what is it? I like how you combine all your five. I mean, the habit might be smoking, but that might be correlative to a place or a time. Mm-hmm. And then you might say to them, but when you go on vacation, do you smoke more or do you smoke less? That might mm-hmm. tell you some things, right? Like the library is a good example of this. The context for library is to read and be quiet. People naturally go into a whisper tone when they enter a library because they're entering into this place that they've gone into so many times. And habitually, they get quieter when they're in a library because they've been told, shh, which is a lot of conditional therapy in a sense. They've just had it so many times that that's what they start doing naturally. When you take something like smoking, for example, and people smoke very regularly but then they get on a plane let's say they smoke seven cigarettes in a day they get on a plane and then they can't smoke three of those cigarettes during that time frame that's the context changing and then they therefore don't have the same desire to smoke anymore because something has changed and that's the problem with most habits that go on long term 
is that gotta tell you the next thing that i say in this particular sentence on the episode that comes out next month is gold if you love habits and if you're interested in learning how to get out of your bad habits the first statement i say in next month's episode is something you have to listen to you have to catch it because it is so valuable to know and it is so useful in your life you have to catch it that's next month head over to iantolson.com if you want to be to the first person to know when it comes out enter in your email and that way you can have that plugged into your ears right when it comes out i'm happy that you are here i'm happy that you were listening to this and i hope that you still like me after leaving the episode like that so enjoy your day take care stay well all righty cheers <laughs>